Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. Hi, this is Scott. If you're a fan of the ancient world, please help us get the word out. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate the series on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Okay, so we left things off with the young king Antiochus VIII Grippus murdering his mother Cleopatra Thea in 121 BC, after which Grippus and his wife, Queen Tryphena, actually enjoyed a few quiet years, running the kingdom, having the kids, etc., though they often get flack for not trying harder to recover more Seleucid territory. In 116, the multiple filicide and all-around pot-bellied monster, the Egyptian pharaoh Ptolemy VIII Physcon, finally died at the age of 68. And I'm shooting off a few mental rockets and noisemakers to celebrate that glorious milestone. The following year saw the death of his sister, the 70-year-old Queen Cleopatra II. With their departure, the torch was passed to a whole new generation, who were pretty much exactly as horrible as the one they'd just gotten rid of. The new pharaoh was the 28-year-old Ptolemy IX, called Lothyros, which means chickpea. So, yeah, he needs to step up his nickname game a bit. His younger brother, Ptolemy Alexander, was given control of Cyprus. But the real queen of the family pyramid was their mother, Physcon's former wife, and Cleopatra Thea's younger sister, Cleopatra III. She was later known as the Dark Queen, which sounds pretty cool, so I'm going to start calling her that. You may remember her early abuse at Physcon's hands, and the fact that she birthed him five children in the space of eight years, all before she was 22. When Physcon died, the Dark Queen was 42, and ready to play the kingmaker in a very real sense. Which mainly meant mixing and matching her children's marriages in line with their shifting desires. In 115, the Dark Queen ordered her son, the pharaoh Chickpea, to divorce his sister Cleopatra IV and marry his other sister, Cleopatra Selene. No real reason is given for the swap. Cleopatra IV may have just fallen out of favor. But the act had unforeseen consequences. First, Cleopatra IV left Alexandria for Egypt-controlled Cyprus. Her brother who ruled there, Ptolemy Alexander, chose that moment to proclaim himself the king of Cyprus, in opposition to his mother and older brother. While she was there, with or without her brother's consent, 
Cleopatra IV gained the support of the Ptolemaic garrison on Cyprus. She then took these troops along with her to Syria as a dowry for her new husband. Who was he? Well, he was none other than the son of Cleopatra Thea and Antiochus VII, the exiled Seleucid prince Antiochus IX. In 114 BC, Antiochus IX was 19. He'd been raised in Cyzicus in Anatolia, hence his nickname Cyzicanus, and had returned to Syria to kill his half-brother and reclaim his rightful throne. Off the bat, he'd been crazy successful, taking most of the major cities, including the capital of Antioch. And now, with his marriage to Cleopatra IV, his prospects looked even brighter. So, it was the new power couple of Cyzicanus and Cleopatra IV versus the old power couple of Grepus and Tryphena. Half-brothers, in-laws, and sisters all. So nice to keep it in the family. The Ptolemaic troops and money gave Cyzicanus some extra oomph. In fact, in 113, Grepus and Tryphena were ejected from Syria and forced to seek refuge in Anatolia. But the following year, they bounced right back and managed to retake Antioch. While Cyzicanus escaped the city's fall, Cleopatra IV sought refuge in the nearby sanctuary of Daphne. Once she was back in control of Antioch, Justin reports that Tryphena ordered the highest priority be given to hunting down her sister, so that she escaped none of the miseries of captivity. So, yeah, it sounds like maybe some bad blood there. Grepus actually defended the girl and refused to send in Seleucid troops, so Tryphena sent in her own personal hit squad. Justin reports that, unable to drag Cleopatra IV out, they hacked off her hands while she clung to the statue of the goddess. Eventually, Cleopatra IV died, but not before cursing her murderous sister. And just to show that the gods are fair, the following year, 111, Cyzicanus won an engagement, captured Tryphena, and had her executed in return. So the warring half-brothers had both lost their wives, and the war was just getting started. I feel like I should check in with you guys, because I'm covering a lot of territory. So, since we just killed off two daughters, that leaves three remaining children of Cleopatra III. The current Egyptian pharaoh, Chickpea, his sister-wife, Cleopatra Selene, and their brother, Ptolemy Alexander, the king of Cyprus. Meanwhile, on the Syrian side, it's Thea's son, Grepus, versus her other son, Cyzicanus. Got it? Okay, then away we go. In 107, the Dark Queen of Egypt was ready for more musical chairs. This time, it was the pharaoh Chickpea out and her younger son, Ptolemy Alexander, in. Oh, and Selene, as long as we're swapping, let's divorce you from Chickpea and marry you to Ptolemy Alexander instead. You know, just for appearance's sake. What about your two sons? Oh, don't worry, I'm sure they'll be fine. 
Just like when Cleopatra IV had fallen out of favor, Chickpea's first stop was Rejection Island, otherwise known as Cyprus. But when you're dancing with the Dark Queen, out of sight doesn't necessarily mean out of mind. Cleopatra ordered Ptolemaic forces on Cyprus to murder her son, but he somehow managed to escape. After a brief stint in Seleucia Pieria, Chick P returned with a vengeance, taking the island from his mother's troops and, like his brother before him, declaring himself the independent king of Cyprus. Apart from all the mostly Ptolemaic family drama, the civil war between Grepus and Cyzicanus was pretty much by the book. Were there interminably long stalemates? Sure. Did major cities get taken and retaken? Yep, in fact, quite a bit. Did regional powers take advantage to break off parts of the kingdom? Definitely yes. Most alarmingly, the capture of Dura Europos by the Parthian king Mithridates II. Did more Syrian cities declare independence? Yes, including the major city of Seleucia Pieria, which, along with the recent Parthian advances, meant the kingdom had now lost both of the original named cities of Seleucus I, along with the midpoint city of Dura Europos, which is a pretty good sign of just how bad things were getting. Remember Zeno Cotylus, the tyrant of Philadelphia? According to historian John D. Granger, his tyranny was passed down to his son, Theodorus. Two coastal cities, Dor and Stratos Tower, came under control of another tyrant called Zoilos. Granger also flags the Aturians, a newly emergent Semitic tribe, gaining strength in the region of Baalbek. Historian Warwick Ball links the Aturians to the Emesenes, particularly in the context of Baalbek holding the Temple of Elagabal. Did Hyrcanus and the Judeans take advantage of the stalemate to seize more territory? Again, that's going to be a yes. This time it was the siege of Samaria, home to the Judean schismatic rivals, the Samaritans, along with a large population of Greco-Macedonians, which is the part that got the attention of Cyzicanus. Having recently secured Cilicia and Antioch, Cyzicanus marched an army south to try to relieve Samaria. After his first attempt failed, Cyzicanus called in a surprising ally, King Chickpea of Cyprus, who showed up with 6,000 soldiers. The two may have struck up some kind of alliance back when Chickpea was crashing in Seleucia Pieria. In the end, the duo was unsuccessful, and Hyrcanus captured Samaria. To add insult to injury, while Cyzicanus was away, Grepus recaptured Antioch. So Cyzicanus marched back north, based himself in Tripolis, and continued the fight against Grepus. Along with Antioch, another site that was often contested was the ancient city of Damascus. And it's kind of bizarre that we've been in Syria for 16 episodes and are finally touching on Damascus. Going back in time a bit, 
The cities first mentioned in the correspondence of the Egyptian pharaoh Thutmose III during the 15th century BC. It first gained prominence as Aram Damascus in the 9th century BC, when its kings Hadad Azer and Hazael successfully battled the Assyrians. They also built the famous Aramean temple to the Syrian storm god Hadad. The city's history under the Babylonians and Persians is a bit of a black box. But under the Seleucids, the political center shifted north, and Damascus had lost its importance. Now, suddenly, the city was returning to center stage, and for a very particular reason. As Granger notes, the main coastal route through Phoenicia had become problematic after the independence of Aradus, Tyre, Sidon, and, in 104, Tripolis. This put a greater importance on the route through the Baca Valley and on the control of Damascus, which became a newly important center. Control of this city could also provide control of access to Palestine from the north. Speaking of Palestine, in 104 Hyrcanus died, and after a period of infighting, a surviving son named Alexander Janaeus claimed the titles of king and high priest. In 103, Janaeus inaugurated his reign by attacking Cyzicanus's southern stronghold of Ptolemaeus Acco. Cyzicanus himself was still up north, locked in his struggle with Grepus. So, finding themselves besieged by the Judeans, the citizens of Ptolemaeus Acco appealed to King Chickpea of Cyprus for help. Because, for whatever reason, Chickpea did have a track record of supporting Cyzicanus. And sure enough, before you knew it, Cypriot troops were landing at Ptolemaeus and driving off Janaeus's army. And then, things got kind of weird. Because after calling Chickpea in, the citizens of Ptolemaeus suddenly got nervous about offending the Dark Queen and refused to let him into their city. So Chickpea had to besiege Ptolemaeus Acco himself, even as he took part of his army, pursued Janaeus across the Jordan, and inflicted a major defeat. Josephus reports that the Cypriots slew the Jews so long that their weapons of iron were blunted and their hands quite tired with the slaughter. Chickpea then looped back, took Ptolemaeus, and occupied the city. Back in Egypt, the Dark Queen was having a few dark thoughts. What if the alliance between Chickpea and Cyzicanus was more than a passing thing? What if Cyzicanus decided to back Chickpea in taking the Egyptian throne? With her paranoia mounting, the Dark Queen decided to head out east and wage some preventative warfare. Before you knew it, the Dark Queen and her son, the pharaoh Ptolemy Alexander, had launched a full-scale, multi-pronged amphibious assault on Syria. Ptolemy Alexander landed in Phoenicia and made a drive for Damascus, currently held by Cyzicanus. Meanwhile, the Dark Queen attacked Ptolemaeus Acco, 103 BC's runaway favorite for most besiegeable city. 
Driven from Ptolemais, Chickpea swooped south to make a direct attack on Egypt. But Ptolemy Alexander swooped down even faster and blocked his brother's advance. So Chickpea decided to call it a draw and winter his army in Gaza. Meanwhile, the Dark Queen captured Ptolemaeus Acco, then switched to a diplomatic track. First, she traveled to nearby Scythopolis and made an alliance with the Judean king, Alexander Janaeus. According to Josephus, he gave her presents and such marks of respect as were proper. Since under the miseries he endured by her son, he had no other refuge but her. Buoyed by her support, Janaeus went on a conquering spree, capturing Gadara, Raphaea, and Anthedon. The Dark Queen then ordered her son, the pharaoh Ptolemy Alexander, to divorce his wife, Selene. Why? Well, according to Justin, to counter the partnership of Cyzicanus and Chickpea, the Dark Queen sent considerable help to Grebus along with Selene, to be his wife. The help was likely the usual kind, either gold, Ptolemaic troops, or both. So, after being married to both of her brothers, Cleopatra Selene was suddenly the queen of Syria. By early 102, Chickpea decided he'd had enough, so he pulled his forces out of Gaza and sailed them back to Cyprus. In response, the Dark Queen and Ptolemy Alexander made their own return to Egypt. So, for all the crazy Ptolemaic intrigues, not much had actually changed. The most important takeaway was that over the entire year or two of fighting, not a single Seleucid king had taken part. Which meant that southern Syria, for all practical purposes, was no longer Seleucid territory. And just to punctuate that, right after Chickpea sailed from Gaza, the Judeans captured the city. Back in Egypt the following year, Ptolemy Alexander had finally gotten tired of the Dark Queen pulling his strings. Like, you know, making him divorce his wife. So he killed her. Cleopatra III was 56 years old at the time of her death and had ruled Egypt for 15 years. While it's hard to picture her being missed, she certainly managed to leave her mark on both Macedonian kingdoms. Once the deed was done, Ptolemy Alexander inaugurated his reign by marrying his niece, Chickpea's daughter, the 14-year-old Berenice III which at least implies that, with their mother gone, the brothers had reached an understanding. By 97 BC, the civil war between Grebus and Cyzicanus had dragged on for 17 years, which is way longer than any previous Seleucid civil war. It was embarrassing, it was pathetic, it was completely counterproductive and pretty much everyone was totally disgusted with both Seleucid kings. The population was largely eviscerated, lost to conflict, enslavement, or economic displacement, and the remainder didn't much care who happened to rule them. 
finally someone took it upon himself to break the exhausting stalemate. In Antioch, a senior official named Heraklion conspired to kill his boss, the 46-year-old King Antiochus VIII Grepus. Before you knew it, the deed was done, and the last son of Demetrius II, the man who'd poisoned Cleopatra Thea, was dead on the dusty ground. Heraklion's motivations are a bit confusing, since he didn't try to take the throne. But there's nothing confusing about what happened next. Cyzicanus marched on Antioch, captured the city, and married his half-brother's widow, Selene. Then he probably ran around the palace all day, yelling, I win, I win, I'm the king of everything. Finally, after 17 years, Syria was once again unified and at peace under the rule of King Cyzicanus. Man, those were a great couple of days. Days, you say? Oh, yeah. Because the recently killed Grepus had had like a dozen sons with his first wife Tryphena, all of whom were immediately set on revenge. Okay, a dozen is an exaggeration, but there were at least five, which is like full boy band strength. They were all born between 124 and 111 BC, making them between 14 and 27 years old. More to the point, they'd all been 13 or younger when Cyzicanus had murdered their mother. The first to make a move was a son named Demetrius, who captured the city of Damascus. While Cyzicanus was preparing a counterattack, Another son named Seleucus struck at the other end of his kingdom, exerting control over Cilicia and preparing to move on Antioch. Before he knew it, Cyzicanus was under assault in the capital, which quickly fell to Seleucus. And in the very same year that his half-brother and bitter rival Grepus had been assassinated, Antiochus IX Cyzicanus the last son of Cleopatra Thea, was killed by Grepus' son. Cyzicanus' wife, Cleopatra Selene, managed to escape and flee to the city of Aradus. Grepus' sons then elevated themselves as King Seleucus VI in Antioch and King Demetrius III in Damascus, co-rulers over their father's Syrian kingdom. Their remaining three brothers came down from Cilicia and joined Seleucus in Antioch. So, this was the world of 97 BC. Two Seleucid brothers peacefully co-ruling in Syria, while two Ptolemaic brothers, Ptolemy Alexander and Chickpea, ruled over Egypt and Cyprus. And, as far as we can tell from the sources, they all kinda sorta got along which sounds like a recipe for some sort of equilibrium. But, and yes, with the Seleucids, there's always a but, it's also true that this whole period had played out in fairly splendid isolation, with neither Rome, the Parthians, nor the neighboring kingdoms having that much of an impact. Over the next few years, this would drastically change, and the dynasty learned that even five brothers was no guarantee of longevity. Mm -hmm.